It's the human connections that matter. It's not the transactions. It's not, you know, what happens when you shake somebody's hand at the end of the deal making. It's what happened all the way through that conversation where you build bridges, where you build trust, where any one-time negotiations can be actually business or or so rewarding in perpetuity if done right, right? Because you, uh, people think this is the one way that this relationship is going to break apart because we're going to argue about this whole thing. No, maybe it's that it's the path to better communications and understanding, but it definitely is the human connections. Welcome to The Pathfinders, the modern dealmaker series brought to you by Ansarada. Now, here's your host, Dahani Jones. Welcome back, everybody, to The Pathfinders, presented by Ansarada. I'm your host, former NFL player, investor, and entrepreneur, Dahani Jones. Whether you're hashing out a high-stakes acquisition or settling the fine print details of a vendor contract, when it comes to closing a deal, effective negotiating is the number one tool in your belt. Today's guest is Maury Taharipour, an educator and executive who's well known around the world for her expertise in negotiations, as well as areas such as the ENI and sport business. Maury teaches negotiations at the Wharton School and has written a book on the subject as well called Bring Yourself, How to Harness the Power of Connection to Negotiate Fearlessly. I'm excited to talk to Maury today about all things negotiation, key tips and tricks, common mistakes to avoid, and so much more. Welcome, Maury. How are you doing today? I'm so excited to see you as always. I am super excited to see you. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So I'm not even going to try to negotiate with you. <laughs> I just want to understand how you become an expert negotiator. I've known you for a long period of time. I've seen you in action. I've watched you in a room. The way that you interact with people is one of the most phenomenal things that one could ever witness. And so as a lifelong natural negotiator, were you negotiating at the dinner table with your parents as like a seven-year-old over like the type of dessert that you wanted, or did it just come later on in life? Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment, but uh, <laughs> I was like, this is from Dahani. I think negotiations is something we all do are the entirety of our lives. Yes, when we're young kids, and actually they're pretty good at negotiating because they also have the added advantage of being really cute. So they blink their eyes and get whatever they want, but all the way through our life. So whether it's business negotiations, whether you're negotiating as a teenager with your parents, whether it's your spouse, yourself, which is probably the most of negotiations mm. in my life, right? Every time we make a big decision, every time we're trying to work through some problems, I always say like pros and cons lists are the ultimate negotiations, right? So should I, should I not? I think negotiations is is really so much a part of our lives, integral part of our lives from you know day one, honestly. So did I negotiate with my parents? Yes. <laughs> and not very successfully most of the time, but first generation Iranian, you follow sort of what they say for as long as you possibly can. They leave their entire life behind to come to the US. So, you know, it's kind of hard to grapple with um should I, how far should I push? And I think mm. you know, as the older I got, the more I found my voice, obviously. Definitely, those were not my most successful negotiations. Let me just say that. 
But there had to be one moment in time when you were sitting and talking to them where you realized it was a talent. Or maybe they even indicated to you, like, Maury, hmm, you got me on that one. I mean, probably would mean more if I talked about sort of how I got here. It was an unplanned kind of thing. And I was an entrepreneur, went to business school at the Ward School. And my then professor, about about three quarters of the way, maybe even at the end of the semester, said, as I was trying to figure out what was next, what, what was I going to do? He said, you should consider teaching. Mm-hmm. I was like, you have absolutely lost your mind. This is, you know, I'm an introvert by nature, which you probably don't know. And I was, you know, standing in front of a classroom. I, the, the thought of it scared the death out of me. So I was like, no, that, that's not even something I would consider. So that was a negotiations. We went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And yeah, I always say people see something in you that you don't see in yourself. Mm-hmm. The honey, I have no idea. Yes, I had the experience to yes, sort of the experience, the lifetime experience that we all have. But I think it wasn't just the negotiations experience, but how to convey the messaging to to students or to people around you. Because the delivery of that message and having people actually accept it and understand it, because so much of it is about letting go of your anxieties. The thing that I became most comfortable with, I'm probably what I fell in love with in terms of teaching. Yeah, and I want you to break down sort of those tips and tricks, as I mentioned before in the introduction, about being able to be a good negotiator. But your teacher all of a sudden sits you down and kind of gives you this insight that you should be a, you should teach. What other key indicators did your teacher give to you? Because you're, you're exactly right. You know, like sometimes people see you from the outside, you don't even notice the right. things or the talents that you might even have, right? Because you're really steadfast and focused on maybe some of your studies and you might be heading down one road, but then all of a sudden someone stops you and says, you know what, this road here to the right might be the most meaningful place where you can make the greatest contribution, uh, not only to society, but also a way to evoke something really powerful and innate within yourself. And so, you know, I, I asked before, it's like your, your, your parents, or someone in your family, them seeing something, and your teacher also seeing something as well. What was that tool or what was that unique nature that you had um, or that you you possess as an introvert that gives you an extroverted quality to get in between two people and allow them to connect as you even disappear from the spotlight? So definitely not something my parents saw in me or wanted to see for that matter. My parents wanted me to be a doctor, so... Mm. That didn't go so well. But I think if I was to sort of pinpoint what it was, is that, first of all, I loved the subject. I loved that class more than anything. It was engaging. I felt like it brought out sort of the best and the worst in me, to be honest with you. It challenged me in ways that I never even expected because it was, you really have to do some deep self-reflection to understand who you are. And I hadn't really exercised my voice very convincingly throughout my life, again, with my family or others. So I felt like here's an opportunity for me to find my voice, uh, lead into things that were sort of my my strength. Um, business school was great. I had a lot of friends. I'm sort of a sort of social lead person, even though, like I said, I'm, I'm an introvert by nature, but I had committed myself to making the most of those two years. And... Part of that was engaging deeply with people. And so all of these things I think Ken probably saw in me and also that how I recovered from the mistakes in the class, right? I'm very competitive and how I learned to grapple with that even. Understanding that 
winning wasn't the most important thing sometimes, but you could actually, there's a whole lot you can lose if that's all you're concentrating on is winning. So I grew, I learned, and I completely embraced the subject. I loved it. And I think as I was getting ready to graduate, a lot of people sort of go through business school and a couple of things that scared me. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do that's going to be this interesting and this sort of fulfilling your your intellectual curiosity in this way? And I, I didn't know what it was, what was next for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other part of it was it made me so uncomfortable that I felt like I had to do it. I mean, I was I was truly scared of it. And I thought, this is this has to be happening for a reason. And how badly could it go? Obviously, they could kick mine. As said at Wharton, but it scared me and I jumped into it, I think, for that reason. If anybody says, well, if you didn't want to do it, what happened? It's not that I didn't want to do it. I just didn't think I'd be any good at it. Mm. But at the same time, you have been incredibly successful with it, you know, working with whether it be the NFL, whether it be working with Google, whether it be working with the White House Fellows, USAID. I mean, the list goes on and on in terms of like the people you've been able to work with. And that's why it's so powerful for you to be here. And and thank you again for joining us because like pathfinders are leading the way. Wow. They're doing things that are different, but, and, and they're doing things sometimes not necessarily because they thought they were supposed to do, do it, but they, they kind of ended up doing it because there was something about themselves that they realized at a specific moment. You said something that I think about so often in terms of, You know, when you kind of want to ask a question and your heart starts to beat really, really fast, that's always a key indicator to me that I need to ask that question, (laughs) right? Anytime you're about to do something and you kind of get flush with fear or nervousness or some level of anxiety, you have to do that because there's something sort of in the air that is allowing you to know that that moment you're just sort of dialed. And so... I'm going to go down a quick little path in terms of, you know, how do you negotiate with yourself when some of these challenges are, are put forth, even when you may not agree with you? Right. How do you negotiate with yourself? It's a great question. I think that at any juncture of my life when I was supposed to make some kind of a big decision and again, going against the green in a lot of ways, the sort of it's really hard getting out of the gate. But once those doors open, like you're moving fast, steady, and completely focused. But it's really scary before those gates open. And I think that the teaching was one of those things that mm. it did scare me. But, you know, I was also curious, like, what is it that somebody sees in me that I don't see in myself? And honestly, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was going to do to sort of keep up with that, sort of the experience that I just had. The agreement was be his TA. So the first semester, I, I TA'd for him. And he's like, don't worry. You don't have to stand in front of the class. You're not teaching. You're just sort of observing from the side. Well, first day of class, he had a family member that had passed away. And the phone call was, you need to teach. I was like, wait, wait, is it a funeral an excusable absence? Like, what are you mm. talking about? He's like, no, 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 you'll be fine. Donnie, he shut up three hours later and I was like, I got this. And wow. it was, it felt very empowering because at that moment I knew what I knew. Like I was, I was well-versed. I was comfortable. It was all a surprise. And upon reflection and understanding that this is the feeling I got, the, the excitement that I got, and also the challenge, the intellectual challenge, I thought this could be real. 
and 18 years later, I'm teaching and still teaching at Wharton. And I think that that first hit was convincing enough. And then the first three years that I taught, I was, I was still really anxious. I followed sort of, I didn't trust myself, to be honest with you. So follow the syllabus word for word. This is what we're going to do. This is every class is planned out. And after those few years, I was like, this isn't, this isn't fun. This is what I really want to do. I'm going to give it one more shot and I'm going to do it my way, the way I see negotiations and the way I want to connect with students. And you know what? If I fail miserably, then the message here is this wasn't meant for you. That was the first year that I won a teaching award. Wow. Waltman. I'm Goldman Wharton. And it blew me away. But at the same time, it gave me the sense of you have to trust yourself. You know better. And it's that sort of the internal dialogue that we have with ourselves that says you can't. And you have to fight that and say, but I can. And I've done other things before that I've surprised myself. So why not this? And it became freeing. It became exactly what I wanted to do. And I absolutely fell in love with it. Wow. I think there's a lot of people that would have gotten to that point and maybe hung up on the professor and said, no, I can't go forward with that. A lot of people might have said to themselves that I'm not necessarily prepared for those situations. And as I think about some of the people that you probably have interacted with, whether it be CEOs of companies or whether it be athletes on the football field or executives in whatever, whatever office, a lot of times that self-doubt creeps in so much and a lot of people can't get out of their own way. So if you were to give someone sort of like their checklist Right. Because I can think to myself, like when I was on the football field, sometimes maybe I didn't believe in myself enough. I had a little voice in my head that sort of just like flicked that other voice off the shoulder <laughs> and then it then moved the voice of, of reasoning closer to my psyche to allow myself a little bit more belief in my myself. So what are maybe like the tips, if you will, of self-talk or self-belief in order to get you over that hump so that. First, starting off in any negotiations, you actually have to kind of negotiate with yourself. What are those tips? Well, it's funny because you said exactly what I always say. I don't think that people don't find themselves to be successful nor succeed in negotiations because they're not intelligent enough or they don't have the facts or the IQ for that matter or the experience. I think it's because we don't know how to get out of our own way. Mm. And we carry all the scars, all the pain, all the frustrations, all the times that you feel like you disappointed to yourself. Um, and we carry that with us. And over time, that just builds and builds and builds. So that self-talk does not go away without intention and without work. And it always stays with you, right? This is classic imposter syndrome conversation. It doesn't go away. If there's no cure. You're not taking medication or even if you go to therapy, it doesn't disappear. And it can actually haunt you if you don't address it. So the very first sort of best piece of advice I can tell, I can give to people is work on yourself first. Mm-hmm. Because until you can deal with those demons and until you can quiet that voice inside of you, you will never be a successful negotiator, in my opinion. Because at the end of the day, again, what matters to you? What is winning? I never use that word in negotiations in my classes anyway. But what does it mean to be successful? Well, you have to know what is important to you, right? You have to know what you value. But how do you actually know those things if you don't allow yourself to have that sort of clarity? Give yourself that space, right? Working on yourself, the deep introspection, I think is 
so important, more important than any tactics or any strategy, because everything else becomes really sort of surface and not deep enough to make a lifelong difference, right? You have to find your voice. You have to honor your voice. If you don't feel like you ought to say that the, the equation is actually really easy. If you don't value yourself, mm-hmm. then you know this, your goals will never be high enough, right? You will always undercut yourself. And if you undercut yourself, then what you ask for will never be that which you deserve. It'll be reflective of that, again, the negative self-talk. And then if you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. Mm. And so it's so connected, but where it starts is I think where people are actually afraid to even think about sometimes looking internally is not always pleasant, but until you address that, then I don't think the success can come. So that was the big, big, big answer. I would also say the other part of it is that we are, we are in such a constant state of attention deficit, both in terms of strategically thinking about what kinds of things you want to get out of this negotiations, even again, in your own personal decision-making or sitting in front of people and interacting with people. If you allow those distractions to take over, if you can't be present, if you can't be exactly where your feet are, then you won't be able to deeply engage with the other person. They should never feel like they're competing with your phone or any other distraction. But you also don't give yourself that sort of committed space to allow yourself to make good decisions. So I think these are things that people, you know, probably think, oh, she's going to tell us the top, you know, negotiation strategies. But it's so personal mm. that if you don't start there, I don't think the other stuff actually really matters. It's so hard in this world today when your attention is being pulled in every single dis- direction, right? I don't care if you're driving in a car, walking down the street. I mean, there's so many lights and signals and beeps and and alerts that are popping up day in and day out. I mean, for a person that's like myself, uh, that like has 50,000 ideas going in this, this ear and 50,000 ideas going this ear is swirling about in my brain. A lot of times I, I do get a little bit distracted, but you're right. Once you plant your feet and you focus in, just like for me on a play, I'm keyed into my target. I'm keyed into to my signals and my alerts, right? I'm looking at the guard. I'm looking at the center. I'm looking at the fullback. For those, those are people that are on the on the offensive as I was a defensive player. And I'm focusing on reading all these signals, reading all the signs in order to make sure that I, that I make my play. That's how I focus and how I lean in. And I think a lot of people need to find their own tips and tricks, to your point, of how they are grounded in those moments to make sure that they are focused. Well, before you kind of, you talked on talked about something, but you also kind of moved away from something. You mentioned something deep inside knowing yourself, right? And in your book on negotiating, you know, you talk about bring yourself, right? Something about definitely talking about your own personal emotions and, you know, it's how to harness the power of connection to negotiate fearlessly. What is the thing that you fear that you had to move away from if you're comfortable sharing in order to be as effective as possible in terms of bringing yourself, because you're right, you have to overcome your fear to be fearless. So what was something that you're comfortable sharing that you were afraid of that allowed you to kind of move into the space of, look, the worst they can say is no. But at the end of the day, if I can bring myself, I'm going to negotiate fearlessly. Happy to share all of it. But again, 
childhood, right? Socialization, the way you're raised, all these things really matter. So a lot of my life, certainly growing up, I felt like a disappointment because of all the things that my parents had wanted for me and all that they've left behind. And you don't sort of fulfill their dreams. That's a huge burden and responsibility. And I think I bought into that so much that for a long time, I sort of followed that path until I realized I don't want to do that. That's not what I see for myself. And I think that until I allowed myself to say, you are going to live an unfulfilled life, an unfulfilling life, if you just keep going down this path, this is not for you, mm. then I wouldn't have been able to do a lot of the things that I've done. But that first conversation with myself is always, I was a disappointment. It stays with you. You battle it, but it stays with you. And so where you where that starts, the continuation of that is that I have mm. grappled with imposter syndrome my entire life as well, right? People see me as being confident, like the way you introduced me, I was like, me? But it's in some ways really uncomfortable because what I see in the mirror is completely different than what people see in me. But to be able to own that, to be able to actually take ownership and step into that sort of with courage and with privilege means that you have to constantly grapple with those voices. So what people see isn't necessarily what's inside of me, but what I did do throughout this process was to say the only way you can do this well is if you honor your true sort of authentic self. And I have to say, as private as a, of a person as I am, the place where I am most vulnerable, my students see more of me than probably more most people in my life. I walk into a classroom and I just let it go. I, you know, I've cried, I've opened up. But that notion of freeing yourself and being completely vulnerable and knowing that it was the most effective thing you could have done, mm. I have to say that's definitely built my self-confidence because when I'm on a stage, when I'm in a classroom, I think this is what you do best because this is where you are most free. And, you know, it feels really good. It feels like I walk in my purpose. It feels like this is the most fulfilling thing I could do because I'm not restrained by that sort of inner voice, even if it's up to the time the door opens and I walk in a classroom. But when I'm there, I make that commitment to myself that you just, you're at your best when you're truly yourself and it works. Thank you for sharing. And you said when you're at your best, your true self, but you also said something about being free. And that is a, whole new stage of mental clarity, knowing that you're in a space where you can just operate and be, you know, who, who you are. And, and you have definitely surpassed so much of probably things that you've even thought about in your own mind and the things that you've been able to do. So I want to, I want to make sure I list them out again. So people know who they're talking to, who they're listening to more at the Harry Potter. I'm just letting you know, all right, look, Goldman Sachs Foundation, I mean, she she hangs with all of them. She runs the spot, okay? Google, Major League Baseball, National Basketball, Players Association. I'm going to go through the list, Maury, okay? So, because I want people to know. National Football League, Timberland Company, United Parcel Service. I mean, I don't know anybody else that works with UPS. I mean, I think they definitely deliver my packages much faster because of the fact that you talk to them, okay? USAID, Wasserman, Wells Fargo, White House Fellows. I mean, more you have so many interactions with so many people. I mean, ESPN, Forbes, Marketplace. I mean, I can the list goes on and on in terms of all the things that you've been able to do. 
And so I just want to make, I don't want to make sure that all of our listeners read your book. Okay. It's bring yourself how to harness the power of connection to negotiate fearlessly. Okay. And, you know, get all the exclusive expert information inside. And I want to ask you this regarding your book. If you had to share a few of your favorite tips from the book, what would those be? What would be the most important thing you want someone to take away aside from, you know, basically bringing yourself, but like, what would be some of the tips that you want people to take away from the actual book itself? So the book is kind of written like this interview has gone, right? It's, it's an autobiography in some ways it's storytelling, which is how I sort of communicate how to be an effective negotiator. But the reason of why I wrote it first and foremost is because I don't think negotiations is prescriptive. I think it's deeply personal. I think it changes depending on who you are, where you are in your life, who you're sitting with, what your relationships are, all of those things. So I don't necessarily agree with the whole notion of um, sort of telling people, if you say this, you will always be successful. If you avoid this, you'll never lose, right? So it, it can't be, it's not like baking a cake, right? So mm. um, I wanted to communicate to people that that, first of all, it is something we do all the time. So there's no way that you're not a good negotiator, right? To take ownership of that because a lot of people don't even think about the conversations they have with their kids as being in negotiations. Of course it is, right? They don't put things in the sort of the basket of negotiations because they think it has to be a contract or a buy-sell thing or, you know, some contentious back and forth um, conversation. And it's not that at all. It's our, it's negotiations is life. So the other thing was to tell people you're, you know, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe the fact that you are, you are skilled. Do you want to get better? Of course, we all do. But it's not that you don't have experience, nor that you can't do it. The other part of this is that that a lot of the fears that people have around negotiations is the fact that it's tough on them, either mm. by way of bad experiences or thinking that they they just can't succeed because they don't have enough information. That sort of the fear of the unknown, but. Again, it, because it's something you do all the time and because anybody can be a good negotiator, if you can reinforce that, that immediately Dahani changes people. It's like I can see the light sort of go on and that almost people sitting up with confidence just within the first probably 15 minutes of class because they're like, I never saw it that way. It's the human connections that matter. It's not the transactions. It's not, you know, what happens when you shake somebody's hand at the end of the deal making. It's what happened all the way through that conversation where you mm -hmm. build bridges, where you build trust, where any one-time negotiations can be actually business or or sort of rewarding in perpetuity if done right, right? Because you uh, people think this is the one way that this relationship is going to break apart because we're going to argue about this whole thing. No, maybe it's that it's the path to better communications and understanding, but it definitely is the human connections. And last, probably, but for sure not least, and maybe the most important, is that you have to know your own value. It, you're, it's a requirement to be a successful negotiator. You have to know the art of storytelling, and that's the story you tell of yourself. And you have to absolutely believe it, because without that, like I said earlier, how on earth are you ever going to be truly successful? You know, standing in your power, believing in yourself almost the conversation around deservedness, to be honest with you, knowing that you deserve better than you're giving yourself, I think is, is really important. That's what the book sort of communicates. And sometimes when those stories are told from two different people, 
sometimes those become points of points of friction and then a challenge might pop up in any type of interaction to your point you're not always going to agree on things so just like the negotiation process unexpected things can just kind of come out of nowhere so how do you give advice if you will for how to think on your feet you know when things that are surprising just kind of come out of nowhere i can't tell you how many times i've been in some unique rooms where people just might say things that are maybe a little bit off color or they might say something that's just completely different than how I think in the world of negotiations, all of that is on the table. How do you get people to think on their feet and, or what is a tip to kind of respond in that moment? First of all, you can always take a break, right? At any given point, you can say, you know, I need a moment or, you know, go to the restroom or whatever it is, especially if it's something that jars you, right? Or information that it was so unexpected that you're almost afraid of how you would react without taking that moment of to yourself, right? To sort of bring yourself back to that moment. The other part of it is, again, the fact that I said, this is now prescriptive. Mm. The opposite of that is, that's why the book is called Bring Yourself. I believe when we are our true authentic selves and we trust ourselves, then it's far easier for us to think on our feet, to have quicker responses, not without information, but because you're pulling from the things that are most important to you, as opposed to thinking, what was I supposed to say? What was I supposed to do? If this happens, you trust your gut. The older we get, you know that that's true, right? We, most of our mistakes in life have been because we didn't listen to our gut when it was the voice was talking to us. But, mm-hmm. but the more experience you get, it's a lot easier to draw on things that are your values and your convictions and the, the way you want to live your life and make your decisions than if you're trying to remember what a book said on page like 36, right? So being yourself helps absolutely. Taking a break is really important so that your emotions or your fears or your anxieties don't get ahead of you. And the other part of it is if you're present, it's a lot easier for you to make those decisions as well because you're there with great intention. You have mental clarity when there aren't all these distractions, right? So to be present means that you're grounded. To be grounded means that you can take in more information and actually receive it and actually be thoughtful about it. And you make better decisions, not to mention what the person get is getting from you is connectivity as opposed to sort of the disrespect that comes from looking at your phone or is getting a text. I think being present allows us to make better decisions all around. So I think those things are really, really important. And, and all information, by the way, matters, even if it means nothing to you. I always say, don't ignore it. Write it down. Think about it later. And ask more questions because it, just because you weren't prepared for it doesn't mean it's not meaningful in your decision making. So having the humility to know that all information actually matters, even if you weren't sort of expecting it. Because things will definitely arise mm-hmm. I mean, especially Always. you know when you're doing you know when you're conducting business or where you're just interacting with someone i mean especially around mergers and acquisitions when people are trying to put two and two together and try to negotiate how to kind of blend deals things arise out of just different places you touched on maybe it's not prescriptive right maybe not everybody has the same formula but there's got to be some basic rules of negotiation or basic tools you got to have a piece of paper. You got to have a pen. Try to figure out the best way to write your notes. If something pops up, you know, maybe you might want to take a break. But are there any other basic rules outside of, I mean, I, I get it. Bring yourself. Know who you are. Get over your fears. Be fearless. But what are the basic, basic rules of negotiations, regardless of whatever you're doing? Preparation, preparation, preparation. 
always. And why it's so important is a number of reasons. It gives you confidence, right? The more mm. you are, the more confident you are. And so you can show up that way, right? That's what people see. The other part of it is, though, balance that with humility and with this notion of, I may know a lot, I can't possibly know everything. So I think really great negotiators are very curious. They have a learning mindset when they come into these conversations, be it with somebody they've known for 20 years, because we tend to get less curious about the people that we know, which I think is a very big mistake, but absolutely with somebody that you don't know all that well, right? So allowing yourself the confidence, but balancing that out with sort of this notion of I'm committed to learning every part of this process, which then leads to this notion of don't be married to an outcome mm. because you can get to sort of your destination, but the path to getting there could be completely different than anything that you imagined, right? And it might be so much better than what you imagined, right? Again, that self-talk, right? So so allowing yourself to be in the process and dare I say, enjoy the process as opposed to being so overtaken by what that end result is supposed to look like, I think is really important as well, because I think you'll take in more information, you'll be far more present and you're not negotiating yourself down from something that actually could be better for you at the end of the day. Information exchange. So part of the whole being curious is that, you know, there's different stages of negotiations. The preparation is certainly really important, but that second part of that is far before the transaction is ever done, far before that opening offer is that moment where you actually first meet somebody, right? Mm. With somebody that, you know, you're sitting down with, and that's when you can continue to get information. So small talk matters. Small talk is really important because that's when you can actually get better insight to someone on more than a Google search could ever give you, right? So being able to exercise your emotional intelligence, being able to gather information throughout that process, the entire process is information gathering. And the transaction at that point almost starts mattering less because throughout this process of information gathering, again, things pop up, things become better. You may decide the person that you thought you were going to be negotiating with, you don't even want to work with. So this is a no deal just based on what I've seen in you, right? So being curious all the way through, knowing how to tell your story, knowing how to persuade people, know how to use data and information, because that's a really big part of this as well. Why is data important? It's objective. So the way we communicate data can make a whole lot of sense and can be, as a result, really persuasive, as opposed to all of your asks, all the things that you want being grounded in subjectivity. Very hard to persuade people when it's just subjective. So those are, I think, that big tips. Overarching one is have empathy and understand that you don't know everything. So understand what other people have experienced to walk in somebody else's shoes is tremendous power. So that's part of the curiosity as well. Trust yourself. I need to take your class maybe, but I don't know. I might try to negotiate with you in the class and I'm sure your students try to negotiate with you all the time. That would not work. But you know, you know, Donnie, it wouldn't work if I was in your class or you're saying it wouldn't work if I wouldn't negotiate with you in the class. I'm the only person you could negotiate with in the class is what I'm saying. You wouldn't negotiate with me? No. What do you mean? I'm the person who's the... What do you mean? I'm, I'm the student trying to learn the world of negotiations. I got to be able to negotiate with my teacher. I just know you all so well because that, be, <laughs> that would be the true reality. But it's also what I'm so proud of you. Of. You know, like if I, just for a moment, I think, you know, you are a highly distracted person because you do have 50 million thoughts. But 
the fact that you pursue them with passion and intellectual curiosity and fearlessness, I think a lot of people can't do that. And I think that's why you've been sort of successful on and off the field. But when I think about you, I think about the power of your curiosity. And I think that's how you connect with people. That's how you've been all over the world. That's why, you know, I was used to call you the Renaissance man, because I was like, what book did you read or where have you been? Or, you know, I've seen some video online. I'm like, oh my God, he just jumped out of that plane or whatever <laughs> it is. But you're fearless and you're curious. And I think those are two of the really big attributes that really great negotiators have, right? There's no end to what they think is possible. That was my big compliment to you. Thank you, Maury. I appreciate that. Being able to negotiate is also being able to relate to your counterpart too. So absolutely. Your kindness, I, I appreciate that. But I know it's a negotiation tactic so that I won't come to your class and try to negotiate with you. <laughs> you. So wait, so in the class, are there any case studies, deal-making examples or something that you would invite our listeners to, to read that maybe might be a part of your syllabus um, that I may be able to read so that I could become a better negotiator? Well, they do exercises in every class. It's an experiential classroom, right? So negotiations is the kind of thing that you can only get better by doing it more, right? Mm -hmm. Greater practice, right? And for both the reasons of why you're successful and why something didn't work, right? You don't want to make the same mistakes over and over again. So every class has an exercise. For people watching or listening, I would say there's no better example than your life, right? So taking account of those conversations, thinking back, why did you think you didn't do well? Almost the whole journaling process really is very helpful because every time you negotiate, whether it's the way you wanted it to go or not, to be able to learn from that every at every step is incredibly important. It also gives insight to you, right, to yourself. Watch movies. I mean, believe it or not, some of these sort of the negotiations that you see in movies uh, are actually very reflective of of what we do in real life. But mm. to see it sort of play out in front of you, no matter how dramatized it is, it still gives you this notion of how people show up in your mind, what went well, historical negotiations. So I guess all I'm saying is that one, you do it all the time. So that's one example. But two, to see the examples that are around us, you know, you want to know how not to negotiate, look at what's happening in politics these days, right? So mm -hmm. for the good, bad and ugly, the examples are all around us. So you practice it every day, but then you can learn from everything that's around you as well, the climate around you. I don't think you can negotiate with Clint Eastwood. I don't know if you got that reference. I hope I did it right with uh, Good, Bad, and Ugly. <laughs> but I like the fact that these movies that you're talking about as, as like perfect points to negotiate. I mean, the entire uh, 85 seasons of Law & Order have great courtroom mo moments when you can figure out how to negotiate. I mean... I'd rather be on this side than, than on that side. But there's a lot of great movies out there. And thank you so much for confirming what, what I thought to be true. As we kind of wind down, a couple more questions. Number one, what's your favorite movie to kind of learn about negotiation? Maybe it's, maybe it's a TV show like Perry Mason or something like that. And then um, what negotiation were you most proud of? And then I have one final question. My favorite movie is nothing to do with negotiation. So the, come on, just a little. A few good men. You can't handle the truth. Oh, what? Like what? But there's like thousands, right? Give me one movie. What did movie can I tell you for negotiations? What was the? Who was in it? 
Denzel? When he flew an airplane upside down? How about the negotiator? Isn't the negotiator. Question? Okay, boom. Oh, I like that. Perfect. Okay. All right. So everybody go watch the negotiator. But, but literally, the reason why I laughed is because I use movie clips in classrooms as well. And there's like so many. When you start looking for it, you realize it is literally everywhere. Everywhere. Like I watch Yellowstone. It's in Yellowstone. I watch even sort of the. Beth negotiates a certain way. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's literally everywhere. All right. So give me a quick story about your favorite negotiations, what happened. And then as we close out today's conversation, Maury, again, thank you so much. Uh, and maybe you can mesh it together, uh, your favorite negotiation and maybe where you had that negotiation. Maybe it was a restaurant. Um, maybe it was in an office. What food did you have with it? Because I think, you know, a power of a good negotiation is being able to have the interaction. I think a lot of times in those movies, people have them over meals. Um, so where might be a great place to have a meal with the negotiation and where was your favorite negotiation and why are you so proud of it? It's not my favorite because I don't know. I think my favorite have been with myself, but the, it was, you know, harkening back to the beginning of this conversation. I think it was with my parents. I think it was when, you know, the conversation I feared the most, which is this is not the path I'm going to go down. And I want this for myself. Even And the, the scariest part of that was that I didn't have a plan. It's not like I'm not doing this because I'm going to do this. It was, I just know I don't want to do this. Mm. And that was maybe the most important, I always say, because it took all the negotiations that I had to do with myself. And part of it was the fear of what will happen. And I had to sort of battle that. And it was real. Um, but it's also that, that it stopped this road that I've been going down for so long that at some point I knew was going to be full of regret. And I didn't want that for myself anymore. So um, it was a hard conversation, a really important conversation. Was it, you know, something I could celebrate? Not definitely not at that moment, but something that's changed the course of my life. So I would say that um, you're right about food and surroundings and all those things matter, right? Because People are comfortable in certain places that they wouldn't be in others. That's why, you know, I would say the Camp David example is that a lot of the, these big monumental historical negotiations take place at Camp David, largely because they go for walks. And when you're walking mm. with somebody, you're alongside them. Nobody's sitting across the table from you. Nobody's sitting in a boardroom at the head of the table. This is where people find sort of equality and grounding in that. And you can sort of communicate from that vantage point as opposed to uh, who's the boss here or whose way is the right way. This is a moment of balance. And I think that just speaks to the fact that all things matter. It's not just what you're saying. It's not just what tactics you've walked in with or what goals you have. It's the whole environment and ambiance of it that really matters. Maury, thank you. Uh for being open, being honest, and bringing your true self to our conversation today it means a lot to me, and thank you for sharing your story. Of course. Thank you, Dahani. A special thanks again to Maury Terryport for being with us today and providing us with expert advice on how we can up our negotiation skills. If you're enjoying The Pathfinders, please make sure to leave a review so more people can find the show. Until next time, I'm Dahani Jones, and this has been The Pathfinders, presented by Ansarada. <laughs>